Welcome to Persistent and Nasty. You might have heard some of our podcasts throughout the Edinburgh Fringe 2019. This one's a little different. We recorded it live from Fringe Central, specifically in space at the informatics building across from Fringe Central. This event featured Hannah Lavery, Kirsten Van Ness, Rose Riley and Keris Illiri. We would like to extend a special thanks to Katie Queen and everybody at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe Society and the Fringe Central event team for making this event possible. If you like what you hear, then rate, share and subscribe on social media. And until the next time, stay you about inclusion and theatre and and I kind of felt that maybe the best thing I could do was to tell you my story. So I am a poet, a performer of sorts and a theatre maker playwright. Um, I am from a mixed race background. I was brought up in Edinburgh. I am from a working class background in some ways, in some ways not. Um, and I left school at 16. My first experience of the theatre was probably just walking the streets of Edinburgh, being irritated and marvelling all at the same time when the festival was on. Um, I was also, my mother was a very active trade unionist, and I would probably say my first experience as a theatre was going to rallies, was going to the Meadows Miners Festival that used to have every year, seeing people, seeing great orators, seeing women from the wives of the, and supporters of the, of the miners come and talk about their stories. My mother was also a single mother and she loved the theatre and I remember going to, with my colouring book, because she couldn't get a babysitter, going to see lots of theatre. <laughs> she tells me the story that we went to see Uncle Vanya at um, the Lyceum and I put my colouring book down when Sonia does, does her monologue and went... <laughs> so, I left school at 16, I was working three different jobs, all minimum wage, all rubbish, all horrible. There was an opportunity at a very famous theatre, because we're getting recorded, I'm going to, I'll tell you later, um, <laughs> for young playwrights. I went along to this course, it was full of very privileged middle class young people that I felt very intimidated by. Um, I got an opportunity at the end of working with them to put on a small little play. They were going to bring act, professional actors in, they were going to perform a play. I was working three different jobs. I wrote a play that was very based upon a personal experience that I was quite frightened of, that I didn't know, I wasn't being able to articulate that. The day that we were supposed to meet up with the actors, I forgot. I just forgot. Yeah. Phoned up, very ashamed. Please, can I come another day? I've just finished a night shift, then I had to go to work at McDonald's. I just couldn't get there. The truth was, I got paid the next day, and I didn't have enough money to get the train mm -hmm. to Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. I got a bollocking. Mm -hmm. I got told how selfish I was. I got told that there's actors waiting in this room for you. I was 17. Mm -hmm. 
I didn't write again or put my work out until I was 32. At 32, I went, saved up. I had, at this point, I had two children. And I saved all my child benefit to go and do a director's course at a famous theatre in Edinburgh, run by a very famous and celebrated female director. I was incredibly excited. Cost me £150 to do the course. Cost me £100 to get the childcare. It cost me £30 on transport. At the end of the course, we were told we could ask about how we could become directors. So I put my hand up and I said, I can't afford to do the master course, the master's course or the degree that you talked about. Can't do that. I can't afford to work for nothing. Hmm, she says, <coughs> I don't know how to help you. I became a director because I worked for nothing. Because I was young and pretty and I gave sweeties to the director. I was 32. 33, 34, I discovered I could go and read my work at open mics. Again, saved my money up, got the transport, committed to do one open mic a month. Then I realised that there was this fantastic spoken word outfit called Rally and Broad, run by two women who were starting to do workshops in the day. So I went to every workshop they ran. They were all like around about £20 to go to. So I went to those workshops. I met the wonderful Jenny Lindsay, the wonderful Rachel McCrum. I then went to the Flint and Pitch workshops that Jenny Lindsay did. I realised, inspired by these women, that I could, didn't need to wait for permission. I was 34, didn't need permission. So I had access, I realised, to a very small waiting room in a health centre on the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. But ten of my female friends, I said, well, why don't we do three Sundays in the Fringe and we'll give each other an hour and if we put all our money together, we can put it in the Fringe programme and if we all stick together and we all do the door for each other mm -hmm. and we can get, it probably fits about 12 people, we could just put on what we want to do and we'll do it for three Sundays. So I wrote a play called The Drift, which was about the death of my father, it was about growing up being mixed race and I performed it for ten people. Eight of them I was related to. <laughs> One of them was Jenny Lindsay. Jenny Lindsay saw my work and then she decided when she was setting up Flint and Pitch and she had an emerging writer's spot that she was going to give me that emerging writer's spot. So I got up in the bonga rooms and I did ten minutes of the drift. And from that, she kept handing me. Mm -hmm. When the theatre, the workers' theatre started and they crowdfunded a megaphone residency for people of colour, Jenny Lindsay emailed me every week. Mm -hmm. I said, I, I, I don't know, I'll do it tomorrow, I said. Mm -hmm. I had no idea how to fill out an application form and that was the truth. Mm -hmm. A day before it was done, they would, the, the deadline was in, she said, could you send me what you've written? And I said, I've only written my name on the form. So if I get on the phone, and she coached me to write my application. And I got it. Mm -hmm. And the wonderful Sarah Shawari, Harry Josephine, were part of the people, and, Harry Be and Henry Bell were part of the people that drove this megaphone residency. I got a week's funding, enough money to pay for childcare, a week's rehearsal, and I was able to pay Jenny to mentor me. I did in the Glad Cafe, performed the drift. Within that audience, there was another wonderful woman called Anna Horgat from the Engine Room, National Theatre of Scotland. Three months later, I get an email from Anna saying, we want to support you to be part of Just Start Here, which is a sort of work in progress, creative festival that was in Glasgow. The National Theatre paid for my childcare. They paid for my transport. They paid me a proper money for weeks as a performer and a writer. I put my show on. 
in that audience was the wonderful Zandra Yemen from Black History Month. Zandra Yemen saw my work and said, this has to be part of Black History Month. She then spoke to Anna. Anna and Zandra conspired together and got me a preview as part of Black History Month at the Tron. In that audience, there's another <laughs> wonderful woman, Jackie Wiley. Jackie Wiley and Anna and Zandra then all conspired. This is why I imagine they all get together. They all came together and offered me a National Fair of Scotland tour that starts this October, again, part of Black History Month that is going on tour. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because I want you to think how amazing I am. But the reason why I tell you the story, <laughs> and also come and see it. The reason why I want to tell you the story is that the way I overcame these barriers was because other women fought for me and championed me and helped me overcome them. That is now I'm in a position where I may have some power. The recent production I did, I made sure that I didn't perform it myself. I made sure I wrote in my, in my stage instructions that this play needs to be performed by three Scottish women of colour. We have power and we can be positive for each other. And I felt I wanted to tell those stories about the difficulties of barriers, the way we don't, that kind of intersectionality that we offer opportunities, but we don't actually really consider how, what the, you know, we assume things about people. We assume that people can afford to get to places. We assume that people don't have chaotic lives. But also the fact that as women and as allies, we can come together and we can champion and support and we can see when people need some extra help. And actually, most of what I needed was just a springboard. I didn't need to be patronized. I didn't need, I just needed a chance. But it took me till I was 40 to get that chance. And I often wonder what would have happened to me when I was 17 if the person on the other end of the phone said, I know this is hard. I know you must be frightened. You've let us down, but we'll give you another chance. It wouldn't have taken me 15. Okay, I can't count. <laughs> there you go. So that was what I wanted to offer to you. Um, and now I'm going to pass on to my next panel member here. So I guess I'm going to give the perspective of a uh, privileged white lady from California. Um, uh, I, and I, I haven't always been, but I have always been a white lady, hence privileged. Um, and uh, I will tell you how this, these shows that I'm doing right now in, in, at the Fringe happened which was I was driving around listening to an audible great lectures about ancient history and I was completely plussed, that means not surprised, which I always forget, um, uh, that there was no, that I, I, was, I was surprised by how not surprised I was that there were very few stories in this 12 hour long lecture about ancient history of women. I didn't even, I was like, oh yeah, okay, that do make sense. And then I was driving around and I was here in my head, Cleo, Theo, Wu, because those are the two they talked about. Cleo, Cleopatra, Theodora of the Byzantine Empire, and Wu Zetan of the Tang Dynasty. And I am a member of a theater company in Los Angeles called Theater of Note. It is in the middle of Hollywood. It's been there for about 30 years. I have been a member there for so long that when I had 
when I was working at a group home and I was substitute teaching and I was writing grants and I was feeding frozen rats to snakes at a nature center, I, one of my jobs was I worked with a kindergarten class and I borrowed the laminating machine and there's a sign up in the one bathroom in the, in the, in the 30 to 42 seat house we have that says in the toilet, unlock this door because the actors need this toilet too. And that sign is still up there, still laminated because I, it was a good laminating machine. Um, and, uh, but I've been a member there forever and ever and, um, and uh, well before, I'm, I'm on this fancy day job, I have this fancy day job, I work on this procedural drama in America. Um, but well before that, I've been writing stuff and doing stuff at this theater company and I thought, oh, I'm gonna write a play about that. And Elizabeth Gilbert has this book called Big Magic and she talks about how like ideas are kind of swimming around and it's up to you whether to grab them and start writing them. And if you don't, someone else will grab it and write it. And it was sort of like, you should write this, you should write this. And so I started writing it. And I kind of put it down and I started writing again because at first it was a meditation for me about how to be a woman because I don't know the right way to be a girl and there seems like there's directions and I don't know them. Um, and being a, a queer woman, it feels like there's a right way to be a queer woman. It feels like there's a right way to be uh, attractive. All these rules, smart. You're, and then the American election happened uh, where 45, I don't like to say his name, um, <laughs> happened and, uh, and that, nasty word got so in my brain because it's like this may might be just me but I have this deep desire to be nasty in that way of like yeah I'm so I understand my sexuality and then also when someone calls you nasty the degree of shame that women that shot heard around the world to me every woman felt that oh I'm nasty in that like I'm dirty and gross but also I'm supposed to be I don't for me that started to it became a different thing and then it became another thing when I got um, uh, our director in on this and we started making this play where I wanted to by, by the time the election happened and by, by the time all of that happened which in my belief 45 was a great gift to all of us he took a Brock, and he went, here's all the things that are the problems that if she would have won, we would have been sitting around at our dinner tables and pretending like they weren't there. Um, I know way more about my privilege. I know more about r r racism, sexism, homophobia, environmental issues than I ever did before he showed up. So this, this conversation that we started to have by workshopping this play at Cleo Theo and Wu was basically about how the right way to be a woman, what is that? And also we are only as powerful as the least privileged among us. And why is it that not only do women, maybe we don't want to be put on statues, maybe we don't want to have our faces on money, and maybe that's not our priority. Our priority is to, is other things. And I'm not talking about women with a uterus. I'm talking about, yes, women with uterus. I'm talking, to me, femininity is the space in which to create. Bread, words, babies, space for somebody else, it's space to which you create. And I'm not talking about someone who was born with a uterus, I'm talking about people. We have a person in our show played by an amazing actor named Joel Scher who is very much in his feminine. And he very much, and the whole conversation is, well, what makes a woman? What makes, what makes femininity? And what happens if we don't caretake femininity? It will be smashed by masculinity. And it is our job to protect that femininity because masculine energy's job is to compete and to take action. And we have it, we have both of those energies inside of us. So I'm talking really fast, but the point is, <laughs> we started to make this, when we, when we made this play, this whole conversation about we're only as privileged as those among us that are the least privileged. People that are represented less become the least privileged. People like Cleopatra, of which there were so many Cleopatras, which means, by the way, the name Cleopatra means glory of the father. Um, so many Cleopatras, and 
we only pay attention to the Greek one and not the one who made the libraries and not the, and Theodora was like this amazing, these amazing things for like women and children and law, but we only know mostly about the crazy things she could do with her vagina and swans. And <laughs> Wu Zetan ruled the country with like this amazing, but she only gets known, it's always bloodthirsty, power hungry, sex starved. Blood now we're in the same thing. As a woman, you're either too smart, you're too sexy, you're too this, you're too that. And we, I, I participate in this. I'm not blaming somebody else for it. From my experience, I do think that I don't know how to create the balance between patriarchy and matriarchy. I just want to drag the matriarchal throne like next to the patriarchal or maybe a little ahead because this one, <laughs> its intention is always to push ahead of you. So we got to kind of be in front of it a little bit. And so when we started to make this play, it became this really kind of great thing of everyone participating. At one point, uh, the girl, we have two Cleopatras in my, in my show. We have this sort of Liz Taylory white Cleopatra, and then we have uh, the, the not, the more like this is what Cleopatra would be like. And um, the girl playing the white Cleopatra was like, I just am having a hard time. I feel like a prop in the story. And I was like, oh God, I gotta write her more lines. I gotta, and I talked to the director and all of a sudden, like I realized, oh yeah, yeah, you're supposed to be the prop. And you have to lean into that and make the story about, you are the fucking prop for once in your life. You're the fucking prop. Like, and how come we all look at Liz Taylor and say, oh, that's the beautiful one because we've seen it more because, because and that was a lesson I had to learn that women of, there's two lines in the show that make the whole audience go like, oh, which is women of, of, of color get a shorter end of the stick in life and in history because they're represented less. And privilege, that word privilege makes us all it feel uncomfortable in our bodies because it's like, well, I, I come from this or I have this. So it's like a meditation on privilege. And like, if you, if you are the person right now when I say privilege, me included, that goes like, wah, 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 you're privileged and uh, in some way. And, and so I have had to learn that. And also there's a line in the show where one of the actors says, yeah, you never hear a guy say I stuck my dick in her and it felt like a thousand needles of fire, but I breathed through it. I kept going because it felt, because I liked her so much. And if you're in a room of women, women will just go, ha, 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 and, and, and any man who has had an organ enter them, ha, ha, ha. And then the men just kind of go, why is this funny? Why, why is this funny? Why? And, and to go, to, I've never done a play before where I've had men come up to me. I've never had a woman come up to me in this particular play, which if you want to come judge it yourself, it's at 8.05 every night, every, every, three nights or something, um, <laughs> say, just come up to me, just straightforward. Hi, hey, love you on uh, Criminal Mind. Great. I don't like this play. <laughs> I don't, like, almost like they have to shore up or protect or do something. So um, uh, that's been my experience about this thing in particular, about writing a show, not with the male gaze, and, and having to, because I want to, I mean, I hate to say this, but there's this part in me that like, I want to be liked. I want people to like shit that I write. It's hard to like turn to somebody and they're like, I hate what you wrote. And to be like, I didn't write it for you. I want to say, tell me what you didn't like because I want to make it better. But I think I'm not writing it for their gaze. I think I'm writing it for my gaze. I think I'm writing, and I think that that's why it's important that every single female bent human in this room needs to write because we need to get as specific as possible as we can about our experiences because the more specific you are about your experiences the more you're gonna someone else is gonna hear what you have to say and say you just went into my brain 
and I needed to hear that. So it's really, 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 really important that we all write something because there's I'm not special at writing. I am the worst. Like I just write, wrote my journal, and I'm writing a thing. Like there is nothing special about there. There is zero specialness about me besides the fact that I'm persistent and I write in a journal. So th I think that anybody. Uh, can do that, and I hope that this whole thing encourages people to be like, it's really up to us to consistently write and tell our story so that someone else hears that story and then goes and does something for somebody else. Because at the end of the day, we are only as powerful as the weakest, most person that has nothing of our gender. So it's like really important that we all like stay aware of that, because I think our gender is like fancy and magical and full of love juice to be squirted out <laughs> onto the world. And that's what I Absolutely. Uh, and to follow that, I have <laughs> nothing. Um, I'm, my name's Rose. Um, I'm here um, representing ERA 5050. Oh, oh, I've got a badge for you. Oh, oh we great. didn't see you earlier. I've got a badge for you. <laughs> um, so, I mean, this is in incredible. I, I don't know whether I've had too much coffee today or <laughs> I just, I feel like all, everything that's been said so far has been um, really moving and uh, really incredible to, to see such an incredibly mixed room and, and, um, and, and hear these stories about like collaboration. Um, and uh, essentially that's what uh, ERA 5050, which stands for, in its inception, stood for equal representation for actresses. Um, but now we like to say it's equal representation for all. Um, it, in its inception, it was about uh, a group of women collaborating and essentially saying um, enough is enough. We need to see... Um, a, a, a real representation of society on our stages, on our screens. We need to be hearing um, an equal number of female femme stories um, as uh, male stories that we're hearing. Um, and so that's how it began. It was begun by uh, Polly Kemp and uh, Lizzie Barrington, who are two actresses. Um, and at the time, they found that in their 40s, they were being dropped by their big agents um, because there wasn't any work for them. Uh, and there still is very little work for, you know, essentially, as soon as you kind of go over the age of 35 as an actress, you are... Um, the, the, the slim pickings. <laughs> the, the roles uh, are slim pickings. And, and so they decided to set up Era 50-50, and we're now a collaboration of men and women working towards um, uh, asking theatres and uh, big institutions like Sky and ITV and the BBC to commit to 50-50 casting and 50-50 writers. And 50, essentially, we want a proper representation of our society. Um, and that has changed. So it was started in 2015, and that has changed with ha as we as a society think about gender and uh, what, people, um, are, what people feel that is a good representation of themselves. Um, but we're asking all these big institutions to, to just evaluate how they're, the stories that they're telling and what they're pouring their money into. Um, so that's what we're about. I could go on forever about what we're about, but I can send you to our website and you can read all about it. But um, I wanted to talk about, um, I suppose, uh, feeling, having uh, agency 
Um, I'm an actor and I come from a very um, matriarchal uh, upbringing and went to drama school, was, had loads of privilege and went to drama school and had a great time and then left and was plunged into this industry that had very little space or room for women and women's stories and the things that I was seeing and the people I was seeing was not reflecting the people that I was working and collaborating with. Um, and that le led to uh, quite a long time of feeling quite depressed about what I had, the dreams that I had of, of what I would be working on. And, um, and then Ira came along and gave me purpose and agency and I realised I was interested in activism and collaborating with other people, whether you call yourself an acti activist or not, other people who want to make a change. And um, I think it's really important that no matter what background you come from or whether you've trained or you haven't or whether whatever you call yourself, whether you've written kind of five plays that have all been on at the National or whether you're writing in a journal and uh, don't call yourself a writer. Um, I think being able to have agency and, and collaborate with other like minds is so um, activating for you as a human being and I think it gives everyone a power. Everyone has the power to do that. Um, and, and we essentially, as Era 50-50, collaborate with... Um, everyone else, anybody who wants to, to collaborate. So um, Act for Change, Gemma, Pippa, um, Tonic Theatre. Uh, if, if, if there is a campaigning group who wants to move things in the right direction and reflect our society, then, then we collaborate with them and, and work as a whole. Um, and I think it, we're, it's been interesting in this time when there's a huge flux in our society in terms of who's running countries and what, you know, our environment and, and it's quite a scary time. Mm. Um, and with that, we're, we're also in kind of a shame culture. Um, and we've perhaps got to, it's hard with activism, I think, because um, lots of people who are actually fighting similar battles uh, are attacking each other mm -hmm. and I think mm -hmm. um, what we're trying to do as a, as a campaign is celebrate, celebrate people who are moving in the right directions and not be pointing fingers and, and not be um, yeah, at, trying not to attack institutions and just really be in a space of encouragement and celebration when people are trying to make moves no matter how small because you never know how you know these big institutions it's really difficult to shift the status quo because that's been going for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how I'm going to round this up. <laughs> doing very well, you doing very well. But um, <laughs> it, it's really just about, I suppose, working together. If you, are, if, you, if you are moving in the right direction and you are there to fight for a cause, you're also there to educate other people. And so we should all be educating each other and not shaming each other um, and, I suppose, working as one front rather than as separate organisations. Um, and that's what we're about. So mm. when we're having wine, if you want to go over and <laughs> have a chat and join or, or, or to chat further, then that'd be wicked. Thank you.
such a fucking delight listening to you all. <laughs> uh, my name's Cara Soleri. Uh, I'm up here doing a one-woman show called Lovecraft, Not the Sex Shop in Cardiff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a comedy science music show about the neuroscience of love and loneliness. And it's very interesting when it comes to feminism, that show, but I'll take you back to my kind of upbringing, very similar kind of matriarchal kind of upbringing. Uh, my mum was a deputy headmistress in a primary school. My dad was a sports teacher. Um, and though he was a sports teacher, he just taught me everything. We basically played rugby, football, tennis, netball. He was just like, we're playing everything out of the back. I never realised there was inequality <laughs> at all until I was like in my mid-twenties. It was pretty much going through tempestuous relationships with men um, and being hurt quite badly. And she, I, I was always thinking, oh, they'll change, they'll change. And that people don't speak to me like that. Why are you speaking? I've always been treated really well. And like, what's this? And then slowly getting in, into adult life and working and going, oh my God, this is shit. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but always maintaining that kindness that was always taught to me at home. You know, my, um, I'm from a very very, very loving family and a loving community as well in West Wales. Uh, the, in Welsh language, my, Welsh is my first language. Uh, so there's two words you'll call you. You'll say ti or chi. It depends on your stature as well. Well, it's kind of fading out now as well. But um, the men back home where I'm from would call the women chi, which is higher stature. And it, they would always have such respect for the women. So that's kind of where I was from. So it was a real shitter when I, when I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was uh, um, working in lots of different ways. I, I worked on Radio 4 and like on the rep then. That was very interesting and seeing, and I was just, just seeing sometimes, you know, oh gosh, there's a male dominance here going on. And I, and I just couldn't identify it at the time. It's, it's really d interesting how we've all become more aware in the last five years, I think, I've ramped up my awareness. It's like, oh, <laughs> shit. So, um, so, yeah, for me then, uh, I was always working with other people, and, I, and I'm very, I'm so lucky I work in, I, I sing in a band, I sing with Charlotte Church's Late Night Pop Dungeon, and uh, yeah, it's a kick-ass band. We're 50-50 men and women, and it's just joyous, and then we're all really good friends. And, and the support she gives and the support we all give each other is just amazing. Um, and it's so bloody important. It's so important, like you were saying, that those people that are championing you all the way, I'm, I'm so lucky. Um, but yeah, always going from one acting role to the next. I remember we were doing the pop dungeon and I was applying for cash to do my show. And I was like, come on, give me the cash. And, uh, um, and I was told I was about to, I was meant to play a lead part in this new film. And then I was told that I wasn't supposed to, I couldn't do it anymore because I wasn't famous enough, basically. Um, and, and, and I was pretty cool about it. I was like, fair enough, you've got to adhere to what studios, what their requirements are to get your funding. But I felt like total shit, obviously. And like, I'm really good, though. <laughs> she may be more famous. <laughs> Give me a shot. So, um, so then uh, so the kind of cash came through to do my show. And I just pull it, and I, it just made me more kind of like, okay, let's kill this. Let's do a good job. And uh, what I've loved doing it, because I'm from this joyous family where everyone was totally equal. 
So, and I love, and I've been, I've been researching the neuroscience of love for many years, and how love is the same on all of us, and it's genderless. So, so, and I didn't think about it. I was just out to prove a point in terms of what the scientific importance of kindness on each other. Um, and uh, there's the question I say that as a as a single woman, do we need a partner to feel love, um, scientifically speaking? But the answer is, of course, there's love all around you, and it's there's a circuit in your brain that only comes alive when you're engaging in positive social interaction, and that is genderless. So that's the point of my show. And, and I didn't realise that some people come to me, oh, my God, it's such a feminist piece. I, was, I didn't think about that. <laughs> I just didn't, because I was like, I just sat down to prove that humans need humans, and we all need each other. And the facts are there for us, and we need to really take care of each other. So um, I'm really happy to be here and carrying on. And we've, I've traveled a lot with the show as well. And, and it's been very interesting, the amount of men that come to speak to me afterwards, actually. Because, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like the women, because I take you through the story of my thought, um, I love what it is on the brain in terms of romance, then to a societal state. Um, and loneliness, it's about the neuroscience of love and loneliness. And when I hit certain spots in this show, um, every time the men really react because they like you made a taboo subject for us very accessible mm -hmm. and able to laugh at ourselves mm -hmm. and giving us answers mm -hmm. so it's been a joyous thing to do so um, so science is the way kids <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm going to say <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> from our lovely panel. Um, so yeah, comments, questions, thoughts, things you want to share, things that got you excited. Please don't be shy, it's a friendly room. I'll start, Hannah, you have me in tears. Um, <laughs> I was literally up there and yeah. Misha was like, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> tears rolling down my face, thank you. Yes, absolutely. You guys are allowed to speak at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it struck me. So I was kind. Of, I've been thinking about this quite a lot about feminism, and the, and I'm not going to go there. Right? We'll just we'll let the elephant in the room run away. But um, one of the things that really interested me about feminism being brought up by a, a, a mother who discovered feminism in the 70s, growing up to the 80s and the 90s, and then coming of age in the 90s where suddenly we weren't allowed to be feminists, or we were given Spice Girls as some sort of weird mm. inspiration. <laughs> is that what the f I, You swore, so I was, I was like, what the fuck is this? You know what I mean? I, my, mom's, my mom's giving me like Jermaine Green and Simone de Beauvoir, and I'm like, am I ginger? Like, <laughs> Or like, you know, the Cosmopolitan and be cutting out. Or, or the more, I don't remember Ms. Moore magazine, yeah. we'd have the position of the month. Yeah. And I, I used to stick it up on my on the inside of my wardrobe and kind of like discovered like my, my sexuality thinking that it was about being like performative and it was about being really good and anyway, that's another story. But what I was interested about like the so I was brought up with that shame around like when I came read it was like a shame around feminism. But I was very knowledgeable about it. And 
and as I had my own children and things, and I, I remember when I had my little, I had my boy and my girl, and then another boy. Just, and when I had the children, I do remember. <laughs> so there you go, that's a start. But what I thought was really interesting, that I remember always about this idea about when Rosa was little, and my other like, mother friends would be going, it's really important, you know, like, I let her play, I'm going to teach her about science, and I'm going to teach her like, how to be in the sandpit, and she's going to play football, blah, blah, blah. And like, we're not going to have dolls in the house, and all this sort of stuff. And I just remember thinking to myself, it's really strange, because it feels to me that playing with dolls, that making home, what we're actually teaching us about empathy mm. and was teaching about how to take care of someone. Mm. And I thought, when did that become a really shitty thing to teach our children? Yeah. Like, why am I saying, give me back that doll, I'm going to give you a car? <laughs> I mean, like, I kind of wanted to play with the doll. I kind of want to celebrate those things about women which are which are kind of like the root of feminism, which mm. is about, it is that we, that we are from, like, through society or however we're, you know, those kind of, no, that some of that is positive, some of that about how that we, that we approach people with kindness, mm. that we're natural collaborators, that we, at least we were, allowed to change our mind about things. Yeah. That our, if you sit with a group of, I mean, I have very good female friends, and often our conversations start with, I think this, and I'm really sure about it. Mm -hmm. Two minutes later, actually, I think what you yeah. just saw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Or like, I think this is really important. Oh no, oh no, 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 that, you are, oh, yeah. oh, right? But aren't we, you're so we're just not allowed to do that anymore. We live in this world where it's like, you said that night when you were 15 and you're not ever allowed to change your mind. Okay, I won't. And it's like, so I just sometimes think that, I don't know what my point was, but when you were talking about <laughs> kindness and love and these things, that yes, it's genderless, but actually that we have as women, Natural for good nature, or bad, yeah. we, for good or bad, and I, I, I kind of, you know, I'm very much that sort of we become women thing, you know, it's like, I don't think we, I think it's how we're, the society mm. treats us. But I think that we have these little wisdoms and because of the way in which we're positioned within society, which actually should be valued instead of dismissed. And this thing about kindness and love and, and that way in which, and that story I was trying to tell about that idea that it's actually, it's a gift to be able to look at another woman and be able to move away and not feel... Because all that stuff about competitiveness and all that stuff about I it's will masculine shout, though, isn't I it? I will about, shout yeah. you down and I will shut you up and don't you fucking disagree with me and get out of my bloody house, right? <laughs> that's to me that's misogyny and patriarchy. And it ain't what I was taught by my mother with feminism. Mm -hmm. And yeah, my mother's deleted and she's cancelled and whatever, right? But she did teach me that it was about conversation and we were allowed to disagree with each other but still love each other. Yeah? Yeah. Anyway, but love, kindness. Yeah. You know? That's, it's that's, interesting. And that's about... strong and it's powerful and it's, yeah. it's political and revolutionary. It's not like... Mm -hmm. Have a bunny. No. <laughs> and I, th I think that that stuff is, is sort of, that's masculine, right, to compete and to do all that. And with feminine stuff, like, we love aesthetics. We love pretty things. We love proportional shit. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it's, I think it's, I think it's just, it's, it's okay to celebrate that and to be like, you can be a feminist and wear lip gloss and, like, you know, and, and 
play with it's it's that Shaka Khan I'm every woman kind of thing because at one moment I'm this and another moment I'm this and, and there's not like a this is the way this is how yeah, you're supposed no, to be there's present. no um, homogenous way of being a woman yeah right and we all know that and um, and our stories and actually and I think sometimes what we when we talk about excluding different people who who identify as women sometimes what it means is that we actually we kind of shut down the diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a mother of three. I had endometriitis. I'm a survivor of sexual abuse. There's certain things that are really particular and detailed that I want to tell that story from that position of having, from from being, from being all that, from being the little girl when I was when I was mm-hmm. you know and being brown and the rest of it. I'm not excluding anyone from that story. I'm just opening mine, and I want other people to open it too. And I just sometimes I worry that that um, that we need that we need to be in the, the detail of each other and we share that. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and um, and sometimes that we kind of because women in general, if you tell any woman in this room, like think of the we all have experiences of feeling fear of having some dude, no offense to y'all, like showing something at us that we didn't want to see, being overpowered in a way we didn't want to. And what are you going to do? Call the cops every time that happens? Like you can't. All of us have 15 stories of being put in a position that we didn't want to be in that you, it's so normal that you just kind of go like, oh yeah, that. But we don't ever let ourselves, which is why it's so important to write about, to talk about there is trauma that occurs there. There's a part of your body that just shuts down and freezes and stops. And you either try to compensate and come up with survival skills to be smaller, to wedge your way around in life, or you go, fuck that, this happened, it hurt me, it happened, and weird things happen with memory because then you have society going, well, that's not a big deal. Or you've got 45 other women going, well, that happened to me too, but it was worse. And somehow that makes it less important or less valuable, and it's all so important. Not to say, like, hold on to your trauma and wear it like a badge, but, like, alchemize. It's your right to do something cool with it, like write something or, you know, it's your right to do that. And it's also your right to do nothing at all. Absolutely, yeah. it's your right to do nothing at all. But I'm saying it, it's 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 your right to stay quiet. But it's it's not you're not obligated to like compensate or like come up with stuff. You're you're not you're not obligated to make yourself small. You're not obligated to to uh, be presentable for the world. You're not obligated to do that. You have a right. You're you're in your meat puppet suit with your little ghost inside there, living your life, doing your things, trying to make your dreams come true, and and you do whatever you need, whatever gets you to God or whatever. Go there, you know. But I think as artists, I'm sorry for yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think as artists and crafters, a lot of things like yes, it's important to tell female stories. But I, what I hated about the Me Too movement, right? What I found really difficult about it was, it, and actually, to go back to Jenny again, she speaks about it really articulately. But it was that thing that was like. I want to say, yes, one in three women experience sexual abuse in their lives. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fucking tell you my story. Mm-hmm. Like, why the fuck am I suddenly have to tell my story, mm-hmm. right? If I want to tell my story, I'm a writer. I will do it with craft. I will do it with thought. Mm-hmm. I will do it with um, a certain amount of emotional distance. Mm-hmm. I will do it with an audience in mind. 
But when I do that, don't fucking tell me that I've just got up and wept in front of you and put in me. Don't come up and say, you're so brave. Don't come up and say to me, how do you cope? Tell me the writing was good. Do you know what I mean? It's like, we can tell our stories that are powerful stories, but we're not, we're not, we're not giving you a therapy session. And I think that somehow, that, and I felt like, and, and yeah, and I want to, and I want to tell my story because I want to, if I wanted to tell that story, which I don't, if I did, it would be because I want to say, did you know that one in two women, you know? Yeah. I thought the that, Me Too movement was very, it was very fast. I remember when it broke out and I was like, oh my God. And I was looking at everything. I didn't know how to feel about it again. When was it? About how many years ago? Three years ago. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, okay. And trying to go through my... Because, like you said earlier, like we go through, we have so much stuff happen to us that you just, just don't think about it. And then I really sat down and thought about it. I was like, fucking hell, how loads of shit happened to me. And I, I remember sharing just a few things on Facebook with my friends, just just for, for, young, for younger women to know as well, to just like, my God, I can't believe. And I was too ashamed to raise those alarms at the time. Because I, I, I just thought, who's going to believe me? And I was like, oh my God, why would I think that? Of course people believe me. Like, anyone would. Um, and they were just just weird incidents. Uh, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, kind, I'm very glad that I kind of was a part of it and, um, and that I had to share with other women. And, and I found it very, very cathartic and, and very empowering and just made me far more aware from that point on. But even if you just tell it to yourself. I mean, yeah. I think that that's what I mean. I don't, I don't for me... And probably for all of us, it's like to express in a way is this is probably going to be my normal way is is to write it down or something. But to make soup, to tell yourself, to tell yourself that your things count and what you make and what you put out there and what you choose not to put, it all counts that that's important Mm -hmm. because to say it didn't happen doesn't count Mm -hmm. is the part that makes you small to yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's not about being big to anybody else. It's about being there for you kind and of it's thing. Funny. I always think to myself, war poets, mm. right? War poets are talked about as incredible war poets, mm. right? Um, but you don't, women, when they talk about their trauma, okay. we're never talked about like war poets. No <laughs> 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 one says, oh God, that was a fantastic, like the way they expressed in language that it's just yeah. like, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> When I when I gave birth and if anyone hasn't had a child or not, I don't not that you should be. That's a, you know what I mean. Like if you, ha- I don't want to tell you a trauma because you're not supposed to tell people. I'm cats, so it's let's similar. just say after I went through the hellish thing that that was, right? I went. Do you know what? If men gave birth, we'd have like the royal birthing legion, yeah. like. <laughs> Fucking hours, tell you that much. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, anyway, I do my point about that. <laughs> I think it's interesting um, uh, the Me Too movement in relation to uh, the arts and culture and theatre and TV because um, when, uh, especially when the Harvey Weinstein kind of mm-hmm. scandal came out and the Me Too movement began, um, it then I think. Um, opened up a conversation now with every single other industry 
that there can be. Um, and showed that actually, like it was, it, you know, it wasn't a coincidence that when it came out about all these celebrities who had been involved in, in the, the wine scene scam, scandal and, and, and that actually it was like um, an industry-wide problem, um, no matter how famous you were really, it was people um, taking advantage of, of their uh, privilege in the industry. Um, I don't think it was a coincidence that then uh, in politics that came out and then there was scandals across um, politicians and people taking advantage of, of their position. Um, and, and I think, I, I just think there's something, I think Me Too movement was problematic, but I think there's something interesting in then making it, bringing it into yeah, the I culture. I don't think it was ever a movement. No, but there was definitely like a point in time. Yeah, 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 there was, yeah. There was no... There was no kind of like um, how you had. There was no manifesto back in the day. It wasn't. There wasn't a. It was. I mean, it was just. At least it didn't seem like there was anywhere to go with it. It was just a statement of. Yeah. yeah. So, sorry. And from and from me too though. It's uh, like times up. So that yeah, is a movement. Yeah. That is something that like uh, among hundreds of other things yeah, that yeah, they handle. Uh -huh. they, they. It's. It's that. It's not. Um, one moment in time where everyone can tell their story and then we close that shop and yeah. then if you if if you yeah. if anything happens then we don't want to hear it it's it's kind of opened up the doors to all those stories and and allowed other people who who work in an office who work in healthcare who work in to to then be like oh actually this has happened to me and this isn't just something that happens to like really famous people and 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 i just think there's something i don't really know what i'm saying but i think there's something interesting in like the responsibility whether it's a responsibility or not for artists and culture to open up those discussions mm. um, and it's about again it's about representation it's about the stories that we're telling so that the rest of society can feel like they can be open about things and and mm. not close those down and that is a fee is that's a that's a female room like yeah, sharing yeah, and, yeah. And, and i think opening up stories i think it's it's so good when those things happen and then the next thing that tends to happen and this might seem sound controversial is this sort of victim, hero, villain, and so we start pointing at fingers and things get really extreme. Mm -hmm. And it's it's like, how do you catch, and I think it's a very nuanced female, you know, our corpus callosum, we can mm -hmm. go back and forth easier than the masculine brain can. Our ability to think and feel at, this, at the same time, um, we can kind of be more gentle with that and notice when it's happening. Like, oh, we're, we're really pointing the finger real hard over here. And sometimes when you point the finger real hard, it, you're real busy doing this and not paying attention to what's happening inside of your own body that's creating that experience that where how I'm participating. Like, how am I making myself the victim in this? How am I making myself the villain? How am I making them the villain? It's, it's a concept first that people behaved in. I have to remind myself of this, that there are all these mean men that have done these abhorrent actions and before that they were little boys whose mothers were doing the very best they could to take care of them and did a bad job and now there are little boys that are in that position so like how do you keep that concept going of like I am going to make sure that I hate your actions, but I see you as a human being. Mm -hmm. So that your actions are reprehensible and I will not stand for them. I will not stand for your actions, but you're taking up air just like me. You're a human being just like me. So that's how, because what are we going to do? Like shoot them all? Like yeah. everybody who thinks like well, that? Like We, we can break down. I, I thought you were going to say we can shoot them all. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I didn't know you guys have different rules here. But it's not same thing when you talk about race, right? We go, we got rid of Danny Baker, we're all fine. 
right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, insti- it's a really great way to abdicate responsibility, like to say that it's not institutional. Yeah. yeah, there are mean men, but they're mean men because they're bought up within patriarchy and we're, and we're all, I mean, we're all misogynists, like we're all products yeah. of the world we're in, right? But, so if you want to change stuff, you change the institution. It's not, it's not um, the bad mother or the bad father. It's the fact that you're being bought up in a world which you are given a certain expectation about how to be. And it's about breaking down the institutions. Like you want to break down institutional racism. You want to also bring down this. And so sometimes I think when we say the mean racist, or it's that one person, or it's that one bad cop, or it's that one Why don't guy. we get to one? I just think it starts in the body first. You're, I have to look at my in, yeah, yeah, internalized okay. racism. I have to look at my internalized uh, misogyny, my internalized, this world, this civilization that I have built up in here. I have to get this, this goes in check if I'm checking that. And that's all I'm saying. That, that, you know, but I agree with you 100%. Right. Yeah. So it's, yeah, you mean it like it's coming from somewhere in here, but why you're so aggressive on that? It's both. It's both yeah. and, right? It's yeah. it's always there's. If I can point at it's happening in here, I'm be lying to you guys. But say like I have those things. I have the in here, and then I look at it out there. It's easier to point at it out there, and it absolutely is institutional. Mm-hmm. I, I a, a thousand percent agree with you. Yeah. And I don't think it's just that one dude or that one person. I think it's systemic mm-hmm. and all of that. Yeah. But I think, and maybe this is just my way of getting through the day. I don't know how to deal with that before I deal with inside of my own body, like, does that make sense? Yeah. I don't, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I want you to give me the yeah. answers to this. I think, sorry, I think for me what theatre and art can do, but I feel like I'm, you, you know, sorry. <laughs> but I think what theatre and art can do is that what it can do is it creates, and what art is, is it's a start, I think it's the beginning of a conversation. It's allowing space yeah. for these things to happen mm-hmm. and to discuss them. And I think... There is maybe the thing about, you were just talking earlier about who you write the stories for, and I, I don't think it's women's job to go around and sort out all the rapists for everyone, yeah. right? Yeah. But what we can do is we can say, this is how it feels. This is, a, you know, this is survival. This, mm-hmm. is, this, is the, this is how, and we can tell a story which is that we're, where we're artists and we're not, you know, that we're not, yeah. ther- you know, just that we're appreciated for yeah. our crafts, but we can tell those stories with the idea of a w- women looking back on us yeah. or we can, do you know what I mean? And, it's, and I just feel that, that to me, that's what arts, it's not always a provocation necessarily, but it is, a, it can be the beginning of a conversation. Mm-hmm. And to do that, we have to make sure that everyone is in the room to do that. Yeah. That we have women at every level to do that yeah. with and that we bring our women in with us. And we, if we get an opportunity, you bring in someone else mm-hmm. in with you to yeah. share the opportunity and to train them up. And there's no point saying, why is there no black female directors? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, why don't you say when you get a gig, you say, can we have an assistant? Um, I, I, can we have a, um, a woman of colour as the assistant director on this? Um, because I, because there isn't a black director, and I wanted a black director, we don't have one, so let's train one up. Ooh. Yeah, it's like yeah. thinking about Bring that. Up. Yeah, yeah, exactly, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, 100%. I'm not going to speak so anymore. Do we, because we, 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 <laughs> we, we could do another, like, five minutes. Like, Does anybody have any thoughts, questions? Oh, very quiet. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just wanted to to um, pick up on that thing about a, a conversation and about the institutionalized, because I do think that, and particularly the arts, when we do communicate and when we converse, then we find out what the next conversation is. Mm-hmm. And that hopefully starts to open up the layers of what is actually institutionalized, mm-hmm. because we see now things that we didn't see two or five or 50 years ago, 
because of these conversations, and that's why it's so important. Mm. Yeah. Anyone else? I, that's yeah, cool. I was just thinking along those lines, and we're talking about you know writing your story and your own experience now, and and you know a lot of guys I think just mm. haven't even realised that mm. you know any of what the experiences of women are because they're not out there being talked about mm. in the mainstream public um, to a large extent. So mm. um, for me, the kind of I have lots of female friends, so I already kind of had an idea at least, but I think it's that's the Me Too movement for me, or the Me Too phenomena, or whatever you want to call it, that was a big eye-opener for a lot of people, so it did, I think, as problematic as it maybe was, it had, you know, functions. Yeah, I think it maybe was a, a start, like the spark, yeah. maybe, because, uh, yeah, there is always starting the conversation, it's the start of the conversation, and I think what all of the women today on the panel are doing is they're coming and they might not agree on everything that each other is saying but it's what we said then that's really good because otherwise how are we going to change anything if we're all in agreement and we're talking to an echo chamber nothing's going to change if we're all going yeah 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 great and mm -hmm. then we'll help out. yeah um, I uh so uh, we're in an uh, improvised a cappella musical, which is female-led, uh, a male co-director, and he's absolutely feminist, and we've got predominantly females in our show. We're also in a musical with females in our show. Um, and it's female-written, it's female-directed, it's a, a female love story, LGBT, and today we have one audience member. And I'd love, I love exactly what you're saying about, you know, asking for people help and, and helps up and, and stuff like that. Like, I'm... So Acaprov is my theatre company which I've started and, and trying to create spaces and people of colour, I have disabilities, I'm trying to get everyone up. But I do keep hitting these, and same obviously I'm an actress as well, hitting these glass ceilings or <coughs> whatever you like, fringe blue. <coughs> Sorry. Um, so I, I've got two questions. My first one is, once you, you've created the thing and you know you're doing your best, you've got as far as you think you can go, and meet these nasty blocks. Like, is there a mantra? Is there something that you do, some wizardry to help you overcome and go up to the next uh, level? And the second thing is, um, I'm constantly being told, oh yeah, find a mentor, get a mentor. A mentor is what you need. A mentor will help you. Like, how? How do? How do I get a mentor? You know, there's one, and it's like you were saying before. My uh, friend Lynette Linton is a mixed race uh, director, um, but. Again, when she's looking for a mentor, it's like, if there's not another director of colour, who do I go to now? Yeah. I'm a working class northern actress. If I count the successful working class northern actresses that did not go to drama school because they couldn't afford it, did not do this, like, but are really successful, like, it would be great for me to find all of those and ask them to mentor, but I can think of one lady who I have direct message on Twitter. She didn't look at But like, how, how can you overcome the blocks and how can you find a mentor? They would be my two questions. Um, wow, okay. <laughs> Should we get a couple of questions or do you want us to respond to that? Yeah, let's okay. okay. respond to that. Then, okay. Yeah. Um, do, oh, should we go with the order? Yeah. Sorry. I think yeah. overcoming those kind of things 
I've, I've definitely been set back a lot in my life, and I've just, it's just been constant self-belief. How old are you now, Gnell? 30. Yeah, I think, I think, I, uh, yeah, I think it was around 30 that, like you were saying earlier, it was, like, it was like you could have done so much more when you were younger. I mean, things are changing now, thank Christ, you know. But, like, I think it was about 30 years old, and it's just keeping at it, I felt. Mm. Like, if you're, if you're good at what you do, and ki- kindness as well, and people like working with you, that reputation carries on, and, and that, mm. it, just, it just breeds more work, and I just, that's, that's what I think. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Isn't that the persistent bit of this? Yeah. It's If I need, I don't know yeah. on the panel, but just friggin' ask. Oh. Like, I feel like, yeah. I think we kind of, particularly before now, like when I was younger, I would be very sensitive about, oh, I can't ask them or I can't, they're more important than me, or those, those gates are shut, I can't, I'm not in that yeah. room yet. Okay, but yeah, just, I would just email, yeah. be persistent and email until somebody pays attention. Mm-hmm. And um, it's actually, um, it's really interesting. Uh, we've been um, talking to a lot of um, artistic directors of theatres who obviously accept um, lots of, loads of submissions, um, uh, loads of letters from actors, blah, 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 blah. And there is a huge rift in between the way um, men approach uh, asking for things mm-hmm. and the way women approach yeah. asking for things or the way that they promote their work mm-hmm. um, and t- to be really black and white about it the men generally promote their work in a way that they go this is going to work I want so and so to play the lead it's going to sell this many tickets so they sell it like it's a done show it's done yeah. and dusted the women whatever's happening whatever the institution that we're all, the, the, the patriarchy that we're all caught up in, are taught to, to be a lot more like the way that we kind of all came here going, oh, well, yeah, well you yeah, first yeah. saw this. No, I had the same thing. We're still filling out the application yeah. as opposed to like, yeah, what I would mean? say practically about the mentor thing. Yeah. What I would, women's time just traditionally is incredibly stretched, right? Like it's, yes. it's, it's really we don't have a lot of time. Yeah. So if you want a mentor, I would probably ask for specific things. Mm-hmm. I would like to come and watch you rehearse. Mm-hmm. I would like to come to your show and have 10 minutes after. T- like, be specific. Yeah. The idea, I imagine, if you are, uh, you, you're trying to juggle work and maybe family and everything else, and someone says, I'd like to be your mentor, I can imagine just going, oh, I forgot. got... But if someone said, could I come and see your show mm-hmm. and then take you for a cup of coffee? Mm-hmm. Or could I just sit mm-hmm. in one day yeah, when you're at... I see that yeah. you are... Re- in, in, and I'd love just to come and sit with you in rehearsal. Would that be OK? I think just being really specific. And also maybe going to like you know like going to theater comp- like local theater companies and theater houses and saying yeah. i would like to have a mentor is there a way you can support me mm-hmm. but i just i think actually being quite specific about mm-hmm. you, what you want yeah. rather than that general mentor thing because i think for a lot of women that's just like i can't even imagine how i'm going to be able to yeah. put, fit that in and that would be you don't want to i think that's yeah. it. it's like we all have our lives we all have that stuff and you know if we're lucky enough that you are an actor and you get to live that makes your living for you, amazing. But yeah, you know, <laughs> are doing three or four other jobs, like, you know, just to pay the mortgage, etc., etc. But I think it's really important that we kind of go back to what. Okay, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, I'm sorry. Finish, finish, finish. No, please finish. I forgot. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> my comment was actually on silent, and I don't know what's wrong with it. So I'm sorry. We just don't have a lot of time left, but we are continuing the conversation. Don't worry. But okay. yeah. Uh, 
getting harking back to so artistic director of Claw, the Confederation of Lady Arm Wrestlers, and founder of Claw GB. Um, and what I'm hearing a lot is, I opened the show with saying, this isn't a safe space, this is a welcoming space, and all are welcome. And kind of going back to what you said, I'm, I'm really sick and tired of, of playing it safe, yeah. because then there's no room to really push the boundaries and the extremities of what we're actually trying to do. So having a space, a form, if you will, because that's a scene place, that's a theater one, right? What the Greeks did. Having something where we're able, I, I just like having more forums where people are allies, where people are able to come, like that's what theater is. So I, I and just, sorry, it's not really a question, but like even just, even this year at the National, I'm based in London, when they were going for 50-50, and we're go I'm going, ah, eating, yeah. I just like, what, at what point do I just go, fuck it, there goes my right tit, and you know, here, here I go. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm bleeding. I, I, I have a real problem with safe space. I just, I, I think one, as a person of color, word. I think, fucking give me one. And two, I just go, <laughs> What's like, it, why? Art's not safe. No. I mean, you now have like open mics where they go, don't say anything which might offend, <laughs> put a trigger warning in, do this. I go, fuck off. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> fuck it. Because I'm an artist and I want to trigger the fuck out oh. of you. I want to offend you. Yeah. I want you to row with me because it's art. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not mm -hmm. coming for you to have a therapy session. If you are, you know, if honestly, I feel like, and, and also I think if a, a performer comes up and they start off by going, I'm gonna read you my poem about my trauma when I was right. a child. Uh, yeah. I think Thank if you. at the end of it it's a shit poem, I'm like, I'll walk over your corpse on the way out to the bar. I don't <laughs> <get it. laughs> you know what I mean? Like, fuck you. Like, you've just taken up my space. I've come for a night out. You gotta do something good or you can go to therapy. I'm about to, I'll give you a fiver for it. Don't come and waste my time. And that's a really horrible thing to say, and I'm really sad that's on a podcast and I'm gonna be banned. <laughs> Because it's like, no, art shouldn't be safe. It should be a space where we can be uncomfortable together. Mm. So the boundaries of what we know can fucking expand. And it can be all things. It can be bad. Uh, right. It can be bad. You know, I, have, be... you know, I have this show right now about sexual assault. And this reviewer, male reviewer, is like, ooh, I was uncomfortable. Good. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Good. Oh, I'm uncomfortable with a guy who picks out his dick in front of me and starts masturbating. Yeah. And it's like, women will experience sexual abuse tells you two things it can tell you that women are all victims and all poor me it can tell you women are fucking resilient yes. 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 you know what I mean yes. we yes. can yes. fucking take it and we might need help or we might need support but god that must mean we're really resilient if we're going through that much drama and we're still getting up and we're still doing it then don't think we're weak yes I know we're going to have to pause yeah, sorry we're going to have to pause yeah. so we can sorry. carry on up to wait we only have this space there. for the next 45 minutes, um, then they will kick us out because something else is coming in. But we bought a ton of wine, so please say welcome. Each panellist, what I would like you to do very quickly is just say once again your name, who you are, your show if you have one to plug, your organisation if you have one to plug, and your social media so the people listening can find you. 
Okay, Cheers. I'm Cara Saleri, and this is my show. It's called Lovecraft, not the sex shop in Cardiff. One woman comedy science music show about the neuroscience of love and loneliness. Belly every night at 10:40 p.m. Please come for a cutch, which is the Welsh work for hug. Oh. 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 Um, I'm Rose Riley. I'm here for Era 50/50. I don't have a show here at, at the Fringe. I've literally just got here, <laughs> so just tell me everything that That's I need like to see. <laughs> train um but i do co-host the era 5050 podcast which is called the new era so pop that into your That's podcast amazing. platform and Great. give us a listen i am kirsten vangsness i can be found on twitter at at Vangsness. there's a g and an s next to each other but it's pretty phonetic um and uh and on instagram at kirsten Vangsness. and i have a uh, two shows here uh one that is happening tonight at 805 at the powder room in newtown called mess uh, and it's about quantum physics and time happening at the same time. And the other one is a historical musical romp, third of which takes place in a woman's vagina. It is called Cleo, Theo, and Woo. It is at the same place. It is on Friday night and Saturday night of this week, and then a whole bunch of times next week, too. I did my show last week, so um, it's finished. Um, but um, do look out for the drifts going on tour in Scotland in October with the National Theatre of Scotland. And I'm also going to be part of Unbound at the Book Festival, and it's called Finding Home. And I am performing my poetry with the incredible um, Nigerian performance poet called F.A. Paul Azino. So when? Please, when is that? Uh, shit, when day is it? 22nd of... August, obviously. Okay. Okay. And it's on late and it's free and it's the last, you know, like the Unbound series at the Brick Festival. It's great. It's in the big speaker town. Cool. I think that's all I'm doing and I might be doing something else but I forgot what it was. Do you have a website? Oh, yeah. I, do I have a website? Yes, yes I have a website. <laughs> Very poorly maintained website. Um, HannahLavery.com. I'm also Han Lavery on Twitter, which you can be nice to me on. If you, please don't not be nice. If I've said anything which will sure, get me we'll in trouble. Can you pretend <laughs> I didn't say it? And just... <laughs> Um, uh, and also, just to let you know, uh, as I mentioned at the start, Persistent and Nasty is uh, part of the civil disobedience uh, family. We are doing a series of debates around activism in partnership with French Central. Tomorrow is our Pick Up a Brick Art as Activism event. Um, it's tomorrow here at French Central, well, over there at French Central, um, at 4.30. The panellists are Ben Walters, Lisa Skye, Diane Cathal, Trudan Ali, and local Edinburgh drag superstar, The Duchess. There will also be the Bottoms Up Stonewall, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Stonewall Riots, Bottoms Up networking drinks here as well. So we do hope that you will enjoy. Join us for that. And we really hope that you enjoyed this. And until next time, stay nasty. Yay!